Hey everybody, I'm Carl Sardella. I make TikTok videos, comedy videos. I try to be funny. I also uh, host a podcast, So Video Games Podcast, my buddy Brad. Check that out. And this is Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by a returning guest. In fact, I've known him for a good number of years. And, you know, I think this might be his second time on the show specifically. I might have had him once on a podcast way, way, way back when. Um, but you know his work from, of course, TikTok, as well as uh, the So Video Game Podcast and a few other things that we'll talk about as well, too. But we're joined by the ever-talented Carlos Rodella. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Uh, it's been a while. I know. <laughs> it's It has to be. And I was looking back on some old forum posts, actually. And I think it was like a 10 years ago when we were with the uh, the collective. Wow. That is time flies crazy. I yeah. don't. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, but, it was a while. It was a while ago. And I remember yeah. like we were talking about podcasts and kind of all started from that and like uh, nerd geekdom stuff and comics and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to uh, chat again. Steve, Jason, and, and uh, a couple of others as well too. So yeah. Yeah. The uh, collective. <laughs> the collective. Collective minds of, of geekdom. There you go. Um, but for those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking. Hey, I'm Carlos and uh, I do videos about comedy or I at least try. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing like podcasting and video creation for, I don't know, 15 years, maybe longer. I don't know. It's probably been 20. And I don't want to think that because that makes me feel really old. But I think it's been that actually. Um, and yeah, I've always done like creative content, making stuff focused around comedy, but also like nerd stuff that I'm into. And video games have always been a part of like what I do as well. For a very long time, I did gaming press. So I was like the guy at E3 going, hey, this game looks cool. What do you think? And interviewing people and just basically talking about games on podcasts back then, that back then being 2010, a while ago, and then working with GameSpot and all that kind of stuff. So I did a lot of gaming press. And then right now I'm actually kind of in the gaming industry. So I work with game developers as my day job. Anytime I'm not working, I'm making content that is trying to be funny. I, I think you succeed. I, I think you are, you're hey, also thanks. reliving um, your, your heydays from the uh, massive coffee chain that I'll probably get sued if I say its name or something like that. Oh, we have to say the name because it's like part of my thing. <laughs> Starbucks. Starbucks yes. PTSD. I'm sure that is coming through in your hilarious videos. You know, I, I will, we can talk about the origin of those sketches, specifically Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but before I get to that, I want to mention also that the other thing that I do every day um, is, you know, get really excited about the So Video Games podcast that I do with my buddy Brad. So that's another thing that I do outside of work that it's just really fun because we have so many people who listen that just like look forward to it. And it's always great when you can connect with people or video games. So that's another one of my loves because, you know, I love playing games anyhow, and then getting to talk about them. And we both kind of have a different perspective. He's, I want to say he's the more pessimistic one. I'm the more optimistic one. That's generally how it goes, but it's really fun to do that too. So just want to give a shout out to that at the beginning of the show. You know, looking at, of course, your, your Starbucks sketches, because that's, that's your most current venture. And we'll definitely dive into the podcast because as a fellow podcaster, I, I understand the the need to 
promote a show. You know, how did the inspiration for for Starbucks, your comedy sketches on TikTok get started? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, I think uh, the pandemic pushed us into thinking about things we could do while we're just in our apartments. (laughs) And for me, my main routine, specifically during the pandemic, and also a little before that, but was to go to Starbucks. Like that's the only thing I really did. Maybe the only thing I still really do. Yeah, in general, I would go to Starbucks and I, you know, made friends with the baristas and talked to them and kind of watch what was happening like in front of me or like around the, the area. People ordering venti waters. And I was like, why are you ordering free water? I don't get this. And all the things that just were baffling to me, I just was like, okay, these are all little sketches. These are just really weird things that happen. And so then I would actually ask the baristas too. I'd be like, hey, what are some things that have happened to you, you know, today or something? And they would just tell me. So then I went home and I was like, well, I do sketches. Let me just do these short ones. Uh, And I tried on YouTube shorts, I tried on Instagram, but TikTok is where it kind of blew up. And I had my first one, you know, it took a while. I don't know how many other creators you've talked to on here about TikTok, TikTok, but like that algorithm is weird. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And sometimes they just change it. So it took a while. I mean, like people say, don't get discouraged after like 20 videos. Don't get discouraged after like a hundred. <laughs> Cause it takes like, you know, 70 to 80 maybe to like start getting traction. But yeah, I was in the pandemic. I was just like, I'm home. I'm going to make these anyhow. And then when they started taking off, it's still like tomorrow it, one could just not do good. So it's not like a guaranteed thing, but more did better than not in that momentum. One of them went to like 3 million. And when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, well, I think people are tuning in, so I'll keep making these. Yeah, I, I have talked to a few people that have found better success on TikTok than they have on on Twitter and on even uh, YouTube for that. I just think the uh, friend of mine said, who's a filmmaker, he was saying TikTok handles people being creative better than just doing silly dances and everything like that. It's It's all about... The content you put out is the content people see, is the content people like, not just something randomly. Yeah. And I think that for all the things I don't like about the algorithm, the thing that does well is that it does like listen to people's patterns and what they, you know, like, like you're saying. And if you can do it right, you can like cultivate your own for you page pretty good. You know, so if I go on there this morning, which of course I go in there every day, you know, it's got some comedy, it's got some nerdy sci-fi stuff, it's got some science stuff, and then it's got stuff that I wasn't ready for, like just they want to show me. But I think that's another way that, you know, content creators can get seen because it is, if you start liking somebody's stuff, even like with YouTube or even Facebook or something, you don't see the stuff you like lots of times. Like that homepage isn't necessarily what you want to see. I think uh, TikTok does do that pretty well. And it's just another discovery platform for people who make stuff. And I'm sure in a, in a year or so or two years, something else is going to come up that some other people will gravitate towards and, and we'll be on the same flow once more to, to keep our, our names out there and up there. Yeah, that and also just the rotating algorithms of the platforms that are now available. Mm-hmm. Because like right now, Instagram is trying to play catch up and they mm-hmm. have Instagram Reels. Right after this podcast, I'm going to post my new video on Instagram, but I posted it on TikTok first. I kind of do that kind of staggered approach. And sometimes real will blow up even more than on TikTok because they're experimenting. And then here's an interesting thing. Just recently, YouTube shorts, I had one go to like 90K 
And those are normally like hundreds of views that I get. I didn't do anything different. It's the same sketch, you know, but it's like they're trying stuff. And because they try stuff, it kind of sometimes can have creators like win. That's the, also the, the major issue that's been happening a lot lately is because even if you post a short or even if you post continuous content on, on a, a decent schedule, even then it, it feels like even if you're consistent, the algorithm will still push you down depending on what you're, you're promoting and posting. We're humans. We make things and we're flawed. So we, the things we make are flawed. That's a tangent. And then because of that, these, you know, these algorithms are not going to be perfect and they're going to be actually the opposite of perfect. They're going to like not help creators when they should and not based on like, you know, the, the company's evil and they're just trying to like push down independent creators. They just haven't done it right. Recently on YouTube shorts, like, and it's not just because of uh, I'm happy that my content are getting, is getting views. It's more like I'm watching the patterns, you know, instead of getting hundreds, some of my videos get thousands. Again, I don't think the content's better. It's just like YouTube being like, okay, well, maybe we do this doohickey and it shows more people's stuff out there. And, you know, it's just like when you go to your YouTube homepage, either on your phone or on your PC or desktop or whatever, it shows the shorts now. And it just didn't do that before, right? Like you're scrolling down and instead of, just seeing regular like horizontal content, you'll see the shorts. So yeah, it's a weird world and you just got to keep making stuff. The fact that we're one out of 7 billion people creating content for the masses in the world and we're, we're struggling to get the voice out there or we're successful in getting our voice out there, depending on, on the day or the hour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it comes down to just keeping at it, I guess. And, and eventually something will, will stick just like spaghetti on a wall. Yeah, or those little weird uh, things you used to buy in the gumball machines. <laughs> yeah, throw it. Yeah, the yeah. suction cup ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to actually bring kind of another tangent I was going to bring up is that, yeah, why you make content. Like I, you've probably talked about it in the show before, but like for me, it really is about connecting with other humans, you know, and like I want to find that connection. I think any artist or creative person does that. And for me, I think Starbucks, why it's working. And I do have other series that I'm working on. I'm trying to get other series going, but the Starbucks one, it's just, it's so relatable. And so if I make something about like one of the most successful ones is pumps, like I noticed people getting so many pumps in their, in their mochas and drinks. And I was like, I, I have one pump usually that I asked for, maybe not, but you know, they're like 10 pumps of vanilla and blah, blah, pumps of caramel. And I'm like, we, it's just all pumps. So that's relatable because people can watch someone right in front of them in line doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think that a secret to success of content, um, especially when it like comes to comedy. And by the way, I don't know why I'm saying like the secret to success, like I've, uh, I figured it out cause I have not, but for that particular sketch is that it's a relatable thing, you know, like a super, anybody gets it like, Oh yeah, coffee. And they put a lot of pumps in it. Okay. It also comes down to, to your, you're hitting a niche of people that drink Starbucks. I mean, that too. Yeah, there that you're you're focused on the avenue of the of the Starbucks theme, and you're taking what you're observing and you're putting it into relatable content, which is drawing traffic towards you, which is can getting you more hits and getting you more views and getting you to a wider audience. So, I mean, you're you're definitely doing something right. Obviously, it's funny though because a lot of times the comments will be just about the coffee or the Starbucks experience, <laughs> and I'm like, well. I'm over here, guys. Do you know, hi, I made a sketch. Did you think any of that was funny? 
And like, well, it's good that like so many comments are on it because people are talking about like, no, no, you do this. No, no. Actually, I work there and I do this. I'm always like, sometimes I'll go back into the comments and be like, so was it funny then? Or like, did you laugh? Because literally I've had one sketch blow up and I don't think any comment was that about the sketch. And I was like, but I was trying to be the funny guy. That's the only downside, I guess. Well, comedy is hard though. I mean, like I, I'm sure today compared to what, what we're used to, I mean, comedy's evolved as well too. So what we think is funny may, may just be like deadpan <laughs> everywhere else. Uh, I just worked with a content creator. I really, really like Lexi and her TikTok is Lexi's cool. So L E X Y S C O O L. And we finally did our first crossover TikTok uh, and it's doing pretty good. It's on her channel. And then tonight I'm putting up one on my channel that's different. So we kind of filmed two of them. And I've always wanted to do that. And I think she's so funny. Her humor is like so different. And like you said about evolving, it's like, it's just a different type. Yeah, it's just really smart and simple humor. And then that's the same thing with like other comedy that I like right now. It's just, it's not categorized as like something that you've seen in the past. It's a, it's a new take on it. And so that's why I immediately wanted to work with her because I thought she was so funny and I, I can't do the humor she does, but I can do kind of like awkward stuff too. So I think it fit and that's why we did one together, but yeah, it, it, comedy changes. It was good. It was just, it was a nice, you had your, your style that, that is consistent in your videos and you, and she had her style and, and it felt very, it almost felt very like John Cleese rather. Oh. Uh, very, very like kind of like deadpan straight, you know, not really showing any, any true emotion, but going through the avenue of, of, of the sketch itself, but still it had a hint of, you could tell there was humor in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's her style mainly is kind of like a lot of talking to camera, which yeah. I don't, I've only done in like four sketches, but they're breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. And she also just kind of like, yeah, does a lot of statements. And then within the statements, you find the joke. Uh, I think Monty Python's a good uh, example. Yeah. So yeah. I really love that kind of humor. And I think it works because for us, like I do a lot of reaction, a lot of straight man character in Starbucks being like, what are you talking about? What's happening? Like, by the way, that's all my sketches. It's just really seriously. Um, okay. <laughs> that's all of the, the endings. Um, and so that's why I was like, oh, I'll just have that character talk to that character who, you know, obviously is going to talk to the camera and it worked. Funny thing you mentioned John Cleese though, real quick is because someone said one of my sketches that did well, reminded them of the parrot sketch. Oh yeah. And I love that comparison. That's like a dream comparison. And I think it was about some character upset, like returning something in a way, like, do you have this? Well, do you have this, you know? And that's it. Same, you know, the parrot sketch is brilliant. People haven't seen it. I mean, it's, it's a classic. I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, and the fact that it, it segues into the lumberjack sketch so seamlessly mm. is is hilarious. Everyone thinks yeah, the transitions were awesome. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's standard age of television. That was like there was no like you know, split screens or anything like that that they were doing, or there was no like wipes or anything. It was just simple. Let's pull out a backdrop and and here we go. And yeah. It was ahead of their time and also faulty towers and pretty much any, you can go to any British comedy for that matter. And, and they're, 
style of, of comedy, I think fits in today's society where you don't know what's really a joke and you don't know what's not. Yeah. And by the way, there's a documentary right now on Netflix or it's probably been there for a while on Monty Python and it's like a four parter. Oh, damn. So I highly recommend that for everybody, including uh, our younger listeners because or viewers, because it's good to see where a lot of that kind of deadpan stuff came from. They really were originators in a lot of it. So Mm -hmm. um, I always give them, yeah, shout outs because yeah, I grew up with that stuff going like, whoa, what is this? I'm confused. (laughs) And I, I mean, hope that some of my stuff as I keep doing it does that for other people. Like what, what, why is this character acting this way? Why is this character ordering this weird drink? Why is this character doing this thing? That's exciting to me. And I think my next series is a series that I did on YouTube a while ago, and I'm going to try to bring it back. And you hear her first, by the way, people on two geeks talking, there are two characters. One is kind of like based on me and it's a straight man, of course, like what's going on. And the other person's the dude bro guy. <laughs> and I love playing that character because it's, it, I can take all the things I don't like about a human <laughs> or people in society and put it on him. And so he's just like, whatever, dude, you know, he's just that guy. And it's so easy to go into him. He's like, what? You're just an idiot. You know, like he's just, and I hate that person or I hate the idea of that person. And so I haven't brought that to TikTok yet. I'm going to try that and see if that works. That's a good one to say something about like society and hide it within funny characters. So I think I one time had him talk about, which is a controversial subject, but I had him talk about long time ago, Chappelle Mm -hmm. and some stuff that I personally didn't like, like, but I had the dude character like the stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. He's like, dude, this is awesome. He said these things. And the other guy's like, what? That's terrible what he said. And so it's fun because then you get the conversation started. There's a few other TikTokers actually that I've seen out there, like Call Me Chris, that has a similar type of character where it's a little more um, lowbrow in terms of the dude character. Like he's just a complete idiot. Yeah. But, but has good intention. He's a good intentioned idiot. So it's like... It fits the comedy that that she has put right, together. right, right. Yeah, she's uh, awesome. Yeah, just just her versatility with that. But there's a, that that's a lot of the stuff that I watch on TikTok is like that though. So I watch a lot of comedy like yourself and like Call Me Chris and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the comic book ones that are out there like uh, uh, Red Panda or something like that and a few others are just just the time that gets put into creating these sketches and. Just to get thousands of views. Or less. <laughs> or less, yeah. Easily. Yeah, I had hundreds of views when I started. And I still can do one tomorrow morning. And it's the, it's just, you know, hit or miss. And tomorrow morning, you could do like 400 views maybe or something. I don't know. I think now I'm at the minimums. Minimum would be like thousands or something. But still, when you do something, yeah, you spend some time on it. You shouldn't use that number as a judgment. But it's hard not to. All the effort that I'm putting into into this, and now I'm speaking personally, just because doing this stuff for 15 years, you know, all of the stuff that I'm I'm putting into to get under 10 views on a video, even though it's a long format video, it's not not shorts or anything like that. It's yeah. It, it's sometimes it's disheartening. It's just like I put all this time into. I'm actually editing videos now. Yeah. Two years ago, that wasn't happening. No, I know. I mean, disheartening is a nice way to put it. It's, yeah devastating some of it again is discoverability not even some of it almost all of it because like 
creating the content is one thing. And if people like it or not, that's cool, but they have to see it. And that's always been a problem. Even since when I started, which was again, showing my age, 2009, probably when I started making content, it already was a problem back then, which by the way, real quick final, no, I can't say final tangent. I'm just going to keep doing tangents. Back then there was a company called Ustream and they were, and Justin TV and, um, I have another story that I almost worked for Justin and Ustream was like, uh, like a, you know, streaming service like Twitch and they had a homepage. And if we did our videos back then, I had to do a show called Red on the web and press pause. If we did our videos on our own website. They would get hundreds of views just like today. Nothing's, nothing's changed. <laughs> but if we, if we got the homepage of Ustream, 8,000, 10,000, and it was just because they saw it, you know, and then we would do live. Obviously, those would be live shows. And we get people from all over the world watching our show. And we're this teeny little show in a basement. We normally, we get hundreds of views. But we are on the homepage of Ustream, got 10,000 views, and people from all over the world, like in different languages, enjoying the show. So like that tells you right there. That's, that's 2009. It's the same thing today. Like nothing has changed. Yeah. All, all that's changed is now we have companies that are... are- managing and streaming and focusing in on what works for them to generate the most amount of revenue for them and then yeah. give the pittance to the creators themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I feel like there still needs to be another site. And like you said earlier, like there'll be another thing after TikTok. TikTok's pretty gargantuan. It has pretty good backing. There can be, obviously I love competition, right? Mm-hmm. Breeds creativity, but like, yeah, I don't know what that next one is, but there still needs to be another one that is, even more focused on creators and more focused on discoverability because right now I'm like 400 views away or 400 followers away from 10 K, which at 10 K, this is kind of for everybody watching. If you're making content at 10 K, you get to go into the creator fund, which means you get a little bit of money from views, but it's so small. And it doesn't really work fully because it's a whole cumulative pool of money. And the more people that join, they don't increase the money, which doesn't make any sense to me. So it's still, it's still based on views and you can still make some money, but I just want another site too. That's yeah. More focused on creators and paying them and helping them, but we'll see. Yeah. And and that's the same with, with the YouTube and the same with, you know, those types of things. The fact that not even affiliate marketing, but just to get into their, their pool, you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours watched unless you're, and they don't count shorts either. That's the other thing. Yeah. That sucks. You have to have a focused niche. You have to have a, a fan base that continuously supports you and you have to hopefully hit that 4,000 hours within the year because every month it, it, it rotates. It, so, sh- it shouldn't. I know that it's so dumb. How about just cumulative hours? Just stop awesome. it. Then I, I would have, well, I wouldn't have been discontinued back in 2016 when they cut a bunch of people from their, their partnership there. Oh, um, so silly. Yeah. It's, it's been a struggle, but besides the, the Starbucks sketches, of course, on your TikTok, you have done other sketches as well too. And, and I have seen some, some comic books and a, a few other things as well in that regard. But, um, are there any, any videos that you're doing in terms of comics just to kind of give yourself a break from the Starbucks? Yeah, I try. I can't, it's like, I, I go, 
I'll try this new idea that I think is really funny. And then people are like, just give us the Starbucks videos. We don't just, okay. But I did one that did okay. And meaning like uh, people liked it and commented and stuff. And it was Spider-Man versus Batman. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if I should just do a whole series about verses, because I think that might, you know, people can chime in on that. Similar last time I was like, are you going to talk about the video too? Or just talk about Spider-Man vs. Batman. I liked it because it was something that I was thinking about at the time, watching a Spider-Man movie, probably the new one. You know, two characters trying to decide who's better. And I won't go into it. It's weird to like take apart a 30-second video, but one of the guys talks talks about Spider-Man being not cool because he has like fly around the city. And like, if you're going on a date, that's not very fun. Like, better wear some long pants (laughs) because they're going to be the winds everywhere. And then the other guy's like, yeah, but Batman and Batman's got like a Batmobile. You don't even have a car. And like I could open a Batmobile and like Prince music's playing. Call back to a movie. Anyways, it's just kind of like them going back and forth. And I, I thought that was fun. So I might do more of those. But it also comes back to like your, you know, your classic geek debate that you have with your friends, you know, sitting around, you know, playing games and all that stuff. And obviously something will come up and, you know, it sparks a, a good debate and, you know, at least. You can throw your friend out if they have the wrong opinion. That's all. Right. And you say they're wrong. But to both of our points, that's the relatable bit, right? And by the way, which one is better? Yeah, well, (laughs) I'd rather have the money, so I'll go with Batman. Oh, okay. Wait, is this this us being the person or just better like in battle? Because that's two different things, I guess. Uh, Yeah, but I If we're like the person, then yeah, Batman's got more money, obviously. But Spider-Man has more strength and, and- Definitely, you know, he's been holding back all these years as well, too. So it's not like he could easily crush everyone. Like, it's Yeah, not- I know. I've always said that. He's so damn strong. He could, like, punch someone and they die. But there was a there was a bit where, and, and I'm sure someone else has said this and picked it apart or whatever, but when, apparently when Doc Ock took over Spider-Man's body and he fought the bad guys because he was basically taking over Spider-Man's life for a bit, um, because they swap bodies or whatever. I don't know the whole storyline. This is whatever this is. He punched a, a mugger and took his head off, <laughs> like complete, like completely decapitated. And and Doc Ock was like, "How he's been holding back this entire time?" Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know what's funny? I just got a memory, a memory, uh, or a memory, uh, <laughs> either one. And I used to draw comics. It, back to the comics is a connection. I drew comics uh, when I was a kid in high school uh, and I would, you know, like look at a lot of stuff. I like McFarlane and Frank Miller and stuff. And I would just literally copy. Now I wouldn't trace, but I have this like weird ability to copy things. I, I don't know that. if you have that where you can like look at something and draw it. No, I've got not even close. <laughs> I know. I first, when I grew up, I thought just everybody could do that. Um, and so I would draw, I would take out a frame. I'd like to look at a frame of, you know, Spider-Man and McFarlane version and just copy my character on top of that body in a way. Like okay. as I had a character named Sergeant Z, this is a long tangent, but, and Sar- Sergeant Z would like fight and then be in the Marvel universe, but also be in the DC universe. And all these kind of worlds would collide in my comics. And I remember having Spider-Man and I think he did, knock someone's head off or something. I remember it going like, he's super strong even back then. Yeah. And he should like, just be able to destroy. I think he was like fighting the Hulk and like he was holding his own, you know? Yeah. I have some of those comics still and I'll have to find them. But um, I, dr- I would draw like episodes like every day, like little episodes. Almost sounds like you have another series you could potentially bring back. 
like third third rated third rated superheroes in the Marvel and DC universe, and just bring back Captain Z there. Oh, Sergeant Z. Sergeant it's Z. Sergeant oh, Z. Oh, geez. He got demoted. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I think there was a Captain X at some point, though. So you're not. Yeah, I'll bring back Sergeant Z. Although a lot of that's costumes, and I have to like spend more money on costumes. I don't know. Here, here's what you do. You just do like a simple whatever, whatever the top half is. Don't even worry about the bottom half. It's like you're out of uniform. <laughs> yeah. It's in the or, corners. Yeah, the whole thing, there is no uniform. It's just like he just says he's a hero. There you go. <laughs> I'll, write, I'll write it down. <laughs> you know, uh, being a uh, a longtime podcast host as well, too, is always wonderful to have. And, and we kind of hinted back at this early on in, in the interview as well, too. But you're, of course, doing a, a show for the past couple of years called the So Video Games Podcast. And that so it's like I don't even know where to pause in that. That's the problem. It's like it's like, is it there? Is there a comma like kind of hidden? Like, how did that come about? <laughs> Well, that's not me. That's Brad. Brad Galloway, who I do the show with. He's awesome. And so he started the website. Well, the website and company is called Game Critics. Uh, Go check it out, gamecritics.com. And they started a podcast there. And uh, him and his buddy Corey did it. And so they already were doing it for a while. And then Corey had to go do something else. And so Brad's like, hey, do you want to join the show? And yeah, I just joined because we were always talking all the time and I play every game. I swear I play every game. Um, and he does too. And so, yeah, I just joined up, I think it's about two and a half years ago, maybe three. It was really fun to do, especially during the pandemic too. Again, cathartic thing to do, talk to somebody. For you, I'm sure the same thing. It's like not getting out as much, but you can definitely connect with people yeah. with a podcast. Yeah, podcasting is fun. And the Sovity Games, I don't know how he came up with that name. So I didn't do that, but I kind of just jumped in after. I think it's like, so video games, podcast. Okay. okay. But it's fun because I, I used to do something with a friend of mine as well, too. And it goes back to the whole friends on a couch, you know, playing video games and all that jazz. And, and I think that it's, you know, everyone has their own genres and their own favorites and everything along that line here as well too what are some of the discussions you've had with brad where you know it's really sparked a heated debate and conversation yeah well it can be from game to game because <laughs> he can literally be like this game is garbage and a trash fire and i'm like i really really liked it <laughs> you know um but i think more more times than not like we'll talk about like, the industry stuff or like for me, here's a good topic is like Nintendo Switch. I think like I enjoy Nintendo, I grew up in Nintendo, but right now that system isn't for me. Like my sensibilities and like what I like out of a game is sitting in front of my TV, big, huge experience, 60 frames per second, high fidelity and like lose myself in a world. And Switch is like old school and I love indie games, but like that's kind of a lot of what it is. Like it's a lot, a ton of indie games. It's a ton of games you can play on your TV, but few and far between like Xenoblade's coming out soon, which is cool. Uh, Chronicles three, but it just doesn't have what I want. So anyways, the tangent will be why are, why is Nintendo doing this? And these big ideas of like how I don't like the, you know, the company. And then he'll be like, well, they don't care about being the big console. They want to be small. And then, you know, we'll talk about like what that means to us. But yeah, I think a lot of like industry stuff or like, free to play will be a lot of, you know, tense moments sometimes, but it's good because I think, uh, you, you know, we only learn from uh, discussion and debate. Contrary to popular belief, 
uh, right now in this time period, uh, it is very good and healthy to have debates and you can have them without yelling at each other. And I think that might be another success of the podcast because I mean, we're really good friends. And then like, also he could say anything and I could say anything about anything. The Nintendo, Sony, Xbox, we've like made jokes about all that stuff. And I think it's okay. And I think more shows and podcasts and stuff need to learn that. I mean, maybe they do know that in the, in the creative world, but it's, it's just, it's, it's good to have debate, I think. So there, there seems to be a theme that I'm seeing uh, when it comes to different shows, not just not saying your show whatsoever, but in general, from some of the content that's coming across my, my feeds and social media, et cetera, is more of a negative approach to watching say shows or whatever saying uh, putting it down so that they can get views is what I'm trying to get. Mm, yeah. I don't like that. People are making a career out of it. And it's like, at what point do you actually enjoy something then? Because if you're continuously being negative, then what's the point of bringing the entire, your entire audience to that level? I'm so glad you brought it up because that's literally a huge selling point for us. I think if you want to like listen to a podcast that isn't like that, because while we still have debates, neither of us are like being negative at each other or even at the the games. Like sometimes he won't like something and he'll lots of times we'll say at the end of a review, if we don't like it, Hey, it might not be for us, but you might enjoy that. Right? Like I'm tired of point and click adventures, me, myself personally. But if you like a really high fidelity one, this is great for you. So we do a lot of that, but also I hate what you just described and it is all over the place, which is negativity wins because that's just a societal thing. And it's terrible. I think that we're the positive podcast, even though we're different opinions and we're pessimistic and optimistic combined. I think that we fight that on our show, like religiously, we want to give, you know, indie game developers a chance. We want to uh, showcase stuff that isn't being shown other places. Yeah, we want to give a fair shake, but also I definitely try to bring positivity like 90% of the show because if you are if you don't like it, then don't, don't play it. Yeah. I got it. Cool. It's not for you. But I'd rather bring stuff to the show that I'm like, you know, really interested in or really love because yeah, that's better. <laughs> we're geeks and we're nerds and we enjoy what we enjoy. And now that we have platforms to share our, our joys with the masses and the world, you know, let's, let's do it in, in a positive, but, but critical light in the sense that, like you said, you're saying what you like, you're saying what you don't, you both have your own opinions. And that's, that's really how it should be when it comes to reviewing games. Not everyone's going to like everything. And if they did, you know, show me that person. Cause I'll be really surprised. <laughs> Yeah, or we'd all be the same person. Like um, Collect uh, that callback to Wrinkle in Time. Do you remember Wrinkle in Time? Oh, yeah. I remember reading the book. I never saw the film. So I didn't either. I won't. I won't. No. Um, but the book, you should reread it as an adult if you haven't. I yeah, think everybody listened. Oh, man. So what's great about that is, uh, yeah, like to what we're just saying, there's a place they visit, another like planet-like place, and like everybody does the same thing at the same time, <laughs> like literally on like a metronome. And it's so creepy because think about that for a minute. And so they're all like in pattern, you know? And so that would be, yeah, we all like the same thing. We all like the same thing. It's fun to, to see the differences, but I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, you can take the positivity, but you can also do the objective stuff too. Cause I started again, 2009 when at the beginning of the death of games journalism, I want to say, right? Like old school game journalism, Ziff Davis and, you know, uh, EGM and stuff. And, um, 
So I think it's hard to do objective and everything is subjective just naturally because we're, we have a pr- opinion, but I, I, I like to try to think that our podcast does that mixture where a lot of, a lot of uh, shows and content just does the subjective and that's it. And they're like, double down on it. No, this is a piece of shit. This is, this is the thing. This is great. Or this is terrible. But yeah, I think it's good to have the objective stuff in there uh, and let people just, you know, decide for themselves sometimes. What's the social stigma that people should just get over? Wow. I don't know. Jeez Louise. Oh, comedy's got a lot of issues right now. (laughs) I think that, well, I'm kind of tired of the politically correct. I think that we should, the whole idea of comedy is to say what's happening and this whole existence is ridiculous, right? The fact that we're on this rock and flying through space and the fact that we all are going to all going to die. And that's crazy. And we're like totally fine with it most of the time. And, and the idea and all this horrific stuff happens, chaos is around us and comedy helps us get through that. Um, I think that's something that I would like to just get over this very, very cancel culture thing that's happening. Now, I don't agree with some stuff that comedians say, just like I don't agree with tons of people. I still think they should be able to say it. There's an asterisk there next to Chappelle, which we won't go into. Some people that I go like, well, you're just being mean or something. But other than that, I really want comedy to be able to to get outside of that cancel culture because we got to say stuff because we're all processing what's happening. I think as comedians, and I'll put myself in that ring, we're just trying to process the world and help people process it, you know? Um, so a lot of times I think a joke comes from trying to do that and not necessarily like trying to hurt someone's feelings. If I see a comedian trying to feel like hurt someone's feelings, which I've seen, obviously I'm alluding to it. Uh, then I think it's just mean. And again, people shouldn't be mean. That's the end of that statement. I usually ask introspective in the second half. Anyhow, let's do it. I want to get introspective. Okay. I really do. You asked for it. Yeah. Let's do it. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Well, I mean, oh my goodness, you want the depressing one. I know the depressing answer is growing up in a household where, you know, my parents were going to divorce and the words had energy, right? I think anybody who grew up in that situation, which is a lot of people, uh, you just knew that like when the parents were talking in that version of words, it was like something bad was about to happen or it was happening. Yeah, that's probably the earliest memory, unfortunately, because it's like, wow, this is, it's just going to change our whole like household and whole being. Like what we thought was safe is not anymore. And that just happens from words. A more positive way to take words and having power, and this is actually alludes to what I do today, is that me and my buddy Lester back in the day in high school would do comedy. And we weren't class clowns. I think people say a lot of comedians were class clowns back then. No, I, we liked getting laughs, but we would do stuff that was funny to us. And sometimes it would crack up, you know, the class to see like a whole classroom, like freak out that what we were saying, that felt pretty powerful. You know what I mean? And then obviously the teacher was mad and wanted us to leave, would send us to in-school suspension, which was a thing. But yeah, that was pretty powerful. But yeah, we would do something silly and just back and forth with each other. We had the whole classroom in our, as like an audience and we're like, holy crap. At what point are we good enough? Holy crap. These are big questions. All right. Now we're in this, 
By the way, that answer is easy, actually. We are never good enough. I think up until we pass away and go into whatever we want to talk about there that happens next, we're still challenging ourselves and figuring it out. I mean, I think that's kind of the role of why we're here. It's obviously to connect with other people, but it's also to evolve ourselves and understand ourselves. Um, I have a deeper answer to that, like what happens after we die, which is pr- pretty much the biggest question. But I think it, it, I think it involves what we learn here because this existence is like a silly, weird thing. It's a play, Maya. Remember, they called that Maya. And uh, that's in the Tao of physics, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's just a funny play that we're in. Tragic. It's a funny, tragic play. And I think we're supposed to figure stuff out internally. So the answer is never. Usually everyone asks, what's the wisest piece of advice or what's the most bullshit piece of advice that you've ever received? But what is the second wisest piece of advice that you've received that has stuck with you in your career? Oh, I got one. So I, I don't know if it's advice, but it's like, I have to give props to this little company I worked for. Well, we weren't that little, but it was called Mevio, which you remember. I think we talked about it before, you and I. Uh, it was back in San Francisco. It was similar to Revision 3, if anybody remembers that. They were right across the street from us. And we were all making like video content. And that was where I learned to make content. Because before that, I had made VHS stuff because, again, I'm old. Uh, little things with my friends and stuff. But when I got there, I had like the green screen. And I had like a little mini studio and cameras, like multiple cameras and, and good audio. And I think I just back then I learned a lot. I learned a lot about audio and video and green screen that I still use right now in TikTok. And I think that actually does answer the question because if I didn't have that stuff, like right now I'm using a pretty good mic. Like this is a nice mic. This mic, fun fact, is what I use for my TikTok sketches. Even though it looks like, why would you, how can you do that? You're, the mic's not showing up. But I turn this to the side and I aim it the way that I know how to aim it. And it's, and I put it omnidirectional or whatever, I push it forward and then I get a good audio out of it. So audio and visual and how to light a green screen and just all that stuff I learned back then, that stuff I'm still today but helpful. That, that's, that's practical experience though as well too. And if you didn't have those, you know, you'd be watching a YouTube video on how to do that stuff. Yeah. But I think it's, it's just something different how I learned about it from this guy, Nick and a bunch of people at Mevio. Like they really were like hands-on. They would sit down and be like, you know, we're doing this every day. Like, by the way, that side story is we made content every day on that channel. And we had to like, you know, uh, work with other producers and, and help them make stuff every day. And so these people who are helping me learn and uh, my buddy Lucas helping me learn Final Cut Pro, you know, all that stuff is invaluable, like invaluable because it was hands-on and it wasn't watching someone on YouTube actually, which is, which works, but being around somebody, it's not the same. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, both of all those people there and the stuff I learned there. It's questions I was going to ask Stan Lee, but that will never happen. So I oh. creative and talented people like yourselves. By the way, did I ever tell you I, I uh, interviewed Adam West? Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, when I was working at GameSpot, oh, it was the same year that I did uh, Snoop Dogg and I talked with him. The quick story is that, <laughs> and I might have said this before on a show, but I met him. He was super nice. He was there promoting a Family Guy game because oh. I think he did a voice in there, right? Yeah. Um, and so it was really weird because I was trying to have an interview with him, but there's a lot of people like taking pictures of us and stuff. So that was annoying. But um, 
I was just talking to him about a, a rumor that I heard he was going to be in a Batman movie, like in the background somewhere, like, a you know, another character. And I go, and this is like literally putting foot in mouth. Uh, and I like Adam West. I'm like, yeah, I heard a rumor you're in the old, no, the new Batman movie. And uh, he's like, oh. And then I go, yeah, you could, it'd be perfect. You could be like the old Batman. And I go, oh, I just called him the old Batman. And then he goes, and he would just, he would always say my name. He'd be like, Carlos, uh, that's a terrible thing to say or whatever. Like he was just joking with me, but he would always say Carlos before he said anything. It was really interesting. He was very, very nice. And I made a fool of myself in front of him. Yeah. I first, very, very first time I went to come uh, for C2E2 in Chicago, uh, comp convention. And George R. R. Martin is sitting at the end of a table. This is way before, like, this is way before game of thrones mm -hmm. i thought he was like just a disheveled like guy large guy <laughs> sitting just hanging out yeah. yeah just with a bunch of books in front of him and then max brooks was beside him and i have a video of this as well too where it's literally i was like i messed up his name so i was like mark max mike uh Ugh. brooks and and he's like okay stop covers the book of his name uh, the name of his his book there he goes, all right, you got one guess to guess what my name is. What is it? I go, it's it's Max. He goes, good. Okay, Frank, what, what did you want to ask me? And for the rest of the interview, he would like change my name. At the oh, end, that's good. That's so, pretty funny though. He did a bit with it. That's good. He did, yeah, he did a good, good thing. I still felt like an ass though. So. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you? And I am not prepared for any of these, but I'm, I'm finding them. Okay. Inspired me on my path. Yeah. When it comes to comedy, there's just so many like comedians I have inspired me. This is a really tough one. I think to me, more inspirational, and I hate to go back to a previous question or previous answer, but like, is the people that I met in San Francisco when I decided that I could make content because I didn't know I could do it before, you know? And that's probably the most inspirational you can get. Like I can watch shows and be interested in like, you know, things that I think are funny. But I'm just going to say the, I'm, I'm going to make a new answer and say not a person, but a time period, 2009. It's like etched into my brain. It's like, I got to San Francisco. I just moved there and I was given the keys to the castle of like this studio and to make stuff. And I got in front of the camera for the first time, like a real camera and the green screen. And there was lights on me and the lights are bright when the first time you experience them. And someone put a mic on me and I was like, this is, this is the inspiration. It was those people and that moment going like, oh, okay. And if you look at it, it's, it's on the, on the internet somewhere, probably one of my first videos, I'm nervous as shit, you know, and like, it, it's not good. But when I finished, I go, oh, okay. I can do that. Like I can, I could do that again tomorrow. And it was super inspiring because I saw it online all of a sudden next morning, even if it wasn't good, we needed content. So it was on, it was on the website and that was inspiring. From a professional standpoint, you have been a, a games journalist as well as a podcast host and creative comedy sketch maker, as well as content creator for, for many, many years. And you do very well at it. So professionally, you're successful in that regard. Do you consider yourself personally successful? Oh, no. <laughs> I think anybody who does comedy, the first answer is no. I mean, so many stories I listen to all the time 
a plug for flying the wall podcast, which is great uh, podcast by Danny Carvey and David Spade about SNL. It, it, there's the imposter syndrome that happens. Uh, I can put up a video today, right after we uh, do the show, I'm going to put one up and think it's terrible and think I'm terrible and think I should never do comedy again. A hundred percent. No is the answer with a slight, maybe because I can look back at a, a look at breadth of work that I've done. Um, and that feels good. I won't say it feels great, but it feels good because I can be like, oh, I did this. I did this. This was fun. I got to experience this. I did this video that a bunch of people liked. So I like that. That The answer is maybe sometimes, but lots of times it's no. I don't. I just go, what am I today? Did it work today? And lots of times it's no. <laughs> so back to sad answers from Carlos. The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? So every day, failures in, we'll take it with just comedy because we're on that train. Because uh, failures in life, I mean, come on, that's hard to deal with for anybody. But I think with comedy and creating content, like the podcast, could, um, we're very lucky that we have people that like it and that it's just kind of on a track and it just works. And I don't think of the podcast as success or not. I think... Brad and I will finish a show though. And I've never said this publicly, but like, we'll finish a show and we'll talk for a minute and we'll say, Oh, that one was good. You know, it's like, sometimes it just feels, I'm sure you've had that same thing. You go, we finish, we wrap something. We go like, that was good. You kind of just know, but we're not like judging it. Uh, I don't think we've ever judged an episode ever, which is kind of fun. So that's kind of easy. But when it comes to the videos and comedy, yeah, failure happens all the time. The only thing you do is time, which might be a 99 percentile answer, but like, there's no way to really make yourself feel good about it. It just sucks. And I think that the advice would be like, just live in that suckiness and know that it's going to be gone and easier said than done. But that's what I do. I just, I go play a game. I'll go visit a friend or something and not think about it because there's no way you're going to feel better. Especially like you said, we spent a lot of time doing something editing something and no one sees it. Oh, come on. That's just the worst. So the only thing you can do is just not think about it and go do something else and then make something else. The short answer to that question is I just make something new. The younger generation is looking at your work and then becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a content creator or as a podcast host, or maybe something creative that you've inspired that they're going to accomplish in the future. But how can they inspire the generation that follows them? By the way, thanks if that happens to you, to your future people watching. Thanks. That's all I'm trying to do. So I, I succeeded. And then what you could do if I did that, broken record, but keep making stuff. Because if you stop, then you can't inspire anybody. And it's really easy to stop because you go, I'm defeated and I don't want to. Partial answer is to make content, keep making stuff. But also, I guess, just like trying new things. That's probably my answer. Small percentile, I'm guessing. If you're successful in any way, and then you try new stuff, it shows people that they can try new stuff. And it gives them the hope to do different things. Back to Amati Python or something, right? Like if that wasn't around, uh, how many people are inspired by what they did? So the answer is, yeah, to try new things. Because then it can not only inspire people because they like it, but they can be like, oh, I never thought I could just put a mustache on and do this thing or make something with no talking or 
do something with cartoons. Like this guy, Joel Haver, he's so good on YouTube. He started doing this thing where he does, uh, it's a program that you can use that takes like a cartoon overlay on top of a video and it's painstaking and you have to like render out each frame at a time. But I did it for one of my sketches. It was inspiring. And if I never saw that, I would never even tried it. So I think that's the answer is try something new. If your life was a video game, what would its title be? And what type of soundtrack would you have? Well, my life would definitely be an RPG. <laughs> Not only because I love them, but I think that's just accurate. Oh, a title. A title of the of the game would be... Ooh, that one's tough. The title of my life, the video game. My life is weird chaos. Maybe let's just go with that. Yeah, that works. I wouldn't want it to be a present day RPG, even though I love those, but um, because it might just be depressing. It would be probably like an alternate universe RPG where like things are slightly different than they are here uh, and more mystical, magical stuff happens. But wait, am I in the game? Yeah, because it's my life. I would, of course, be a warrior and I'd have, a, you know, I do melee and I have melee skills uh, much more improved than my current melee skills, which are not great. And I would have a two handed weapon of some sort. And yeah, the world would just be weird and different. The soundtrack would be indie music. Yeah, heavy metal or Nirvana, like grungy rock. And then like quiet, like uh, Jose Gonzalez, like quiet indie stuff too. So uh, the tangent was, I wish more games would use music in their games. Now I know licensing's tricky, but you'll see a trailer for a game and it's like this amazing indie song or a popular song or whatever. And it's never in the game. And I play like games, for, you know, 60, 70 hour, like RPG or something. And when they do show up, it's amazing. Yeah. Two examples, Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption 2 has a moment. Did you play that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Great game. There's a moment. Do you remember where they're like on a trail? Like they're all like in, um, they're going somewhere. It's like near the end of the game, I think. Mm -hmm. And they're all like in wagons and like this huge music comes in, like the score. Yeah. And it's an actual song like with singing and it feels so epic. Uh, and then Mass Effect, not Mass Effect, um, Dragon Age, Inquisition. There's a moment in that where like they're all in this big moment and this song comes on. Yeah. I just wish more. You're right. I want more of that in games. It depends, though. I mean, there are some games that do it really well. And here's a kicker. <laughs> I've never played Minecraft until like a year ago. So I spent just a day listening to the music on like a YouTube loop or whatever. Oh yeah. And it's it's incredible. It's some solid stuff. And and I have a musical background too. So I mean I, I loved, you know, of course, you know, Final Fantasy and everything like that. But but it was this type of music that was just really well done. It, it kind of went back to the old eight bit days of of music where you were playing like Mega Man or or um Double Dragon or things like that in in the arcade. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I I can really enjoy a good eight bit, sixteen bit soundtrack style. Um and I used to listen to Kid Icarus, um, yeah. and a ton of other, like, you know, Kid Icarus. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of like chiptune stuff. Uh, I love it, but there's just something about like a vocal in a song or even like just kind of an indie guitar thing that can like really bring a lot of emotion out. And I feel like I see it a lot of times in trailers, but not in games as much, but we could wax poetic for another couple of hours, but I hate to say this, Carlos, but that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Before I let you go, where can we find you? How can we support you? And where can we find your various endeavors on the internet? Yeah, TikTok. Uh, it's Carl Sudella. Wait, it's probably right there. There it is. It's on the lower screen. 
um, tiktok.com slash Carlos Fidel. I just changed it to my name. I was like, I'm just going to say my name. I'm not going to do anything like cool or snarky or funny. It's just my name. And then uh, on Instagram, I'm Carlos Comedy, uh, just because I couldn't get, I think, my name, which is weird. So anyways, Carlos Comedy on Instagram. And then YouTube is also just Carlos Rodella. So youtube.com slash Carlos Rodella. And again, I'm doing more sketches on there as well. Uh, a, a style of video I haven't talked about is this like really weird painting, talking painting style I'm trying. And mm -hmm. some of those are on YouTube. So check that out. And then also want to promote uh, Lexi's cool, L-E-X-Y-S-C-O-O-L on TikTok. She's awesome. So go check her out. And we're doing a couple of videos together. And then, yeah, so Video Games Podcast every week. Uh, we have an episode go up. And if you want to hear about any game, we literally play all of them. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. You can, of course, find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. And, of course, on our YouTube channel, which is a little more updated than our website because I'm only one person. Please give me a break, which is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash tgtmedia. And also, we have a Patreon. I have to promote that because I'm still looking for work. And any support that you can have, especially towards our 15th anniversary, which is coming up on August 8th, uh, would be greatly appreciated, which is patreon.com forward slash TGT Media. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell except to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening, watching on Two Geeks Talking.